0: out to be completely unreliable
1: assholes.
0: <laughs> hey, Tim. Hey, Ryan. And hey, everyone out there listening. Hey, it sounded very radio jock. Hey, everyone out there listening today. Welcome to Dismembering Horror, the podcast show where myself, Ryan
1: McDuffie, and My- myself, Tim Aslan, sponsored by Comet. (laughs) That's right.
0: (laughs) We dismember a horror film for you. That's what we're doing here. And we hope on your end, too, you're dismembering it in ways that we aren't even. What does that even mean? Well, we talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy. Point being, we're talking about it thoroughly enough to be referred to as a dismemberment. And we're all doing it under the fun and guise of friends getting together, watching a horror film, and then just as I said, dismembering said horror film. Tim and I come at it from a filmmaker lens, both in the analytical meaning making sense <laughs> and in the uh, practical side, nuts and bolts filmmaking side too, creeps in. all, And you know filmmaking is mostly everything in between those things. And here we are for episode 168, All Set to Dismember, The Beast with Five Fingers from 1946. And for Tim and I, you're listening to this freshly. If you are listening to it freshly, it's more mid-November, something like that. But for us, we have just exited October. So Tim, I got to know, how was your whole Halloween season and... Halloween specifically, did you do anything special? Any highlights of horror movies you watched? Feel like even though we wrapped up our uh, our you know episodes, we were doing now we can fully reflect on the month itself, which is fun to do since
1: we are a horror podcast. I went to a number of Halloween event, like uh, I don't know what you call them: haunted house, haunted hayride um spooky whatever things that were all fun and cool the la haunted hayride i've never been to we did that um which is actually the hayride part was the least exciting <laughs> 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 they have these um they have a lot of stuff there i was pretty impressed um they add like concessions and a little gift shop and the whole area is kind of decked out. It's like in Griffith park and there's three different haunted house things. All very cool. Um, the hayride was fine. You know, you stand in line for like an hour and a half for a thing. That's like, just it's cool. I mean, they put a lot into it, but not particularly scary. and then uh we also went to this one way out in in a town called phalen which is like i think it's near palmdale i mean it's just like in the middle of nowhere it sounds like a scary town (laughs) yeah it's the type of place that you're like you get to and it's night and you go oh this isn't even a town this is just (laughs) like a weird desolate you're driving on a like desert roads (laughs) into nothing And (laughs) it was awesome. Definitely felt like the type of place that like you think you, you might not come back from. Right. It's got that Texas chainsaw sort of feeling to it middle of nowhere. Um, But that place was really cool. And they had a, I think they had three little haunted house type things too. And one of them had one of the more amazing effects that like broke our brains You walk into a room and immediately it's it's fogged up. So there's low line fog. So you can't see the floor. And you walk down a ramp. You probably walk down like, I don't know, two and a half, three feet or something like that. And, you you know, the ramp leads you into the corner of the room. So you have to turn to your left to look into the room. And suddenly a laser light turns on that is at your kind of waist level. And (laughs) there's a dude sitting in the middle of the room in a costume, but he's sitting at the level of the laser light. So he's just like, at first I thought, oh, he's on plexiglass. But then oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like he's just hovering there and I'm like, okay, the effect is he's on plexiglass and we're going to have to like, because of the fog and the laser, you can't see the, the pedestal or whatever that he's on. Um, no, he just like stands up and walks across the room. And it was, it was scary just as it was, cause it was weird. <laughs> But it was so mind like twisting because you're like this, how the how is this happening? And you realize that so the effect of the laser light that is skimming across the fog is creating a false surface, right? In and it's green, and he's on stilts and he has false feet at the at the. You know, Well, it's actually his real feet on the stilts, but it's perfectly measured so when he takes a step, you can't see the stilts because they're under the fog and they were black. But you can see his shoes walking across the false floor of the laser. And, I mean, it is one of the best effects I've ever seen. I couldn't believe, like, my brain couldn't process it and also that just the circumstances of your like it's one of the first things you see when you enter into this big haunted house it was so good and you know the rest of it had also very cool stuff but like man i've never seen an effect like that and it was remarkably uh effective cool so if you're in the area maybe that's one of the one that gets the sort of tidbit shout out in the know yeah i'll look up what the name of that actually that one was um And uh, and maybe I'll I'll post some pictures of it or something.
0: Great. I'm glad. uh, I'm glad you guys are doing that. That's fun. You're going to make it to Horror Nights, Halloween Horror Nights, one of these other years at Universal.
1: We thought about it, um, but it's just timing wise with our schedule. It just didn't work
0: out. If, um, my my tip for that one would be if you just are, you know, which I know you two are to get excited on the spooky season, like go in September, like right, closer right. when it
1: opens and it's cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. And also, Great. yeah, weekdays were, were very difficult for us just because of work, but we would, we were not going to go on a weekend, just like not <laughs> worth it. <laughs> it's too chaotic. yeah Um, the, 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 uh, the one in, uh, Phelan is called Fear Farm, so... Check it out cool. if you're ever in L.A. Straight up Halloween. Fear Farm. I love it. <laughs> Great. How about but, you? Do you do anything?
0: Uh, I mean, I was watching, except for I had to catch up on James Bond movies for the new one, I was just consistently defaulting to horror movies for this month, you know, yeah. which is fun. And I was also an excuse to kind of pull out the favorites or the classics So like, you know, I I was going on how much I loved old that came out on Blu-ray. I had a lot of fun watching Mm. that. And then, um, and then out of, you know, what's ones from my stack, I didn't quite get to them all, but, uh, rewatching carnival of souls, which we covered, right? Like, man, I think we watched that or we covered that as like episode 98 or 99 in our show. Um, but if it had, I had more time to sit on it, I sure, I'm sure it would have made my top 10 list is great. It's so good. It only grows on you. It's incredible. And then it was funny I had a a series of concerts I went to for the weekend that was dead appropriately dead in company taking over the Hollywood Bowl. Um oh, yeah. so I I didn't really get my um all my movie watching, you know, like I n- normally would do, which is fine. But it was funny. So The Beast with Five Fingers I watched Saturday, October 30th ended up being my last a movie of october cool <laughs> it's like my big horror watch which was kind of funny um i mean yeah i won't go on about the concert it's not film related but it was it was just funny as since it was a dead concert it felt so like at home and normal to see all these like costumed people everywhere and like even even with the extra how you know everyone was in costume it was great but it was so funny walking out of it and being like oh wait it's Halloween, and this is everywhere right now. It was just right. like a weird, like, the concert didn't leave you when you left. It was funny. But it was well, great. Well, that's good. Yeah. And now I'm just, you know, treating November as a continuation because I have a lot more I want to watch still <laughs> that I didn't quite yeah. get to. Endless. Yeah. yeah. But hey, all right. Beast with Five Fingers, 1946. How do we get into that? We get into that. With a trailer. So you ready for that trailer? Yes, I am. All right. I just said the title, but to say it again. Beast with... Uh, yeah, yeah. No, we want to say who made this thing. All right. Yeah, with a screenplay by Kurt Seidmak and Harold Goldman based on The Beast with Five Fingers, a 1919 short story, and the new to Cameron by William Fryer Harvey. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Coming out. Imagine, everyone, a hand coming out of a poster with scared faces next to it. Your flesh will creep at the hand that crawls, the beast with five fingers. A piano long silent mysteriously plays again. It's weird and ominous chords filling a bedeviled house with stark terror. A concerto of death, the cobra music of a dead man played by a hand that returned from the grave to wreak vengeance on his betrayers, marking each for murder as it strikes within human power. A horrifying monster that takes its evil commands from beyond, that cannot return to the tomb till it completes its mission
1: of destruction.
0: Hillary! Listen! Listen! Can you hear it? The piano. It's the hand playing. It's the hand. You will write all the time. It was Ingram's hand that committed murder fingerprints of identical pattern in the library, in the hall, even on the window pen in your room, signorina.
1: You mean the same hand?
0: I heard what they said in the garden. I couldn't help but hear a lie. You're lying. I'm not a liar. But you, you are a coward. You don't want to hear the truth. Let's get away from here, Bruce. We're not under arrest. What can they do if we just disappear? i 'm glad they really embraced the the hand theme in the the marketing there. <laughs> a hand comes out at the end and points at you don 't you dare miss it? <laughs> it like does a little like finger point hey don 't you dare miss it and that hand'll get you <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tib. So after our trailer, we move on to our ratings per our rating system. Would we tell ourselves, talking to ourselves to avoid this film, stream this film, rent this film, or
1: buy this film? Um, I'd rent it. I'd rent it. Cool. It's not quite enough. Cl- like, it's close, but it's not quite, I-, I guess, iconic enough or something. There's something missing that we'll figure out. But uh it's it's awesome. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> so yeah. What what it
0: is is awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I was I was kind of my experience watching it was kind of wavering between a high stream it and low rent it. Uh but in kind of thinking about it and reviewing it this morning and just Peter Laurie's eyes. Yeah, I'll I'll side on a lower rent it. Yeah, cool. Double rent. <laughs> All right. Yeah, a fun it's kind of like, you know, exactly under that tier of we have our sort of classic classics that everyone's kind of heard of or recognized and then whatever that next tier underneath of like if you're getting into it, what are the ones you should see? Like I'd put this one there. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Cool. All right. Well, then, for our summary, Tim, you know, I was thinking of you a lot during this w- this one where it's like a mystery is afoot. We got our cast <laughs> of characters in a house. If you wouldn't mind, I'd love uh, for your rundown just to get us all on the same page, if you could, as if what what was this movie? What even happened?
1: Well, Scoob and the gang get in the mystery mobile, mystery machine, whatever, and they uh they drive up to a mansion in Switzerland and in that mansion we have an old man in a wheelchair who can only use one arm for whatever reason i'm sure he was uh something i'm sure they explained it and i just wasn't paying attention uh, and he likes to play the piano and he can do so because of the help of his somewhat sketchy friend who's a musician who's taught and re um composed a lot of classic music to be played with one hand and it doesn't take
0: place in 46 right it takes place it's, it's set up it takes place earlier
1: yeah that's a good that's a good point i think it's set up to be more like the 20s yeah the short story came out in 1919
0: but it's so funny because it's like 46 and anything before that it like it looks like it could all be the same well
1: and it's also europe so we have like we have no point of reference right um okay so this old dude's got a kind of a, a nurse who caretaker uh hot hot blonde young um and the uh the piano player and that's francis. So, and that's uh julie is yeah the nurse is julie. julie francis is the piano player um and who's the old guy what's the old guy's name francis no, that's the... Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. The piano the old player. guy is Francis. Yeah. And Julie's the lady. And... Oh, yeah, Bruce. <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> what a name. <laughs> uh, anyway, so... <laughs> you got Bruce. And then and then you've got this guy played by Peter Laurie. Hillary Cummings is his... Cummins is his name. And he... He's sort of like the resident. I don't know what his real position was, but he—he's like
0: it. He's the astrologist slash like resident secretary astrologist. I guess. Yeah,
1: he's kind of studying his own stuff. They just kind of have him around to help out with things too, right? Um. So that's your people. There's also a lawyer, and who cares? Um. So really, the story is that. Bruce, Bruce, and Julie kind of want to get out of town. Julie feels, you know, she's been working for this old dude forever, and she feels like she can't leave. And the old dude is just acting weird. Um, he has them all over for dinner, and he does this long, protracted sort of song and dance about his uh his mental state if he's you know of sound mind. And they are all like, "Yeah, sure," you know. <laughs> Yes, you seem fine. Um, And then he, he makes them sign his will. He's made a new will, and we don't know what it says. And you uh, mentioned Bruce and
0: Julie wanting to get out of town, but that's because they are in a secret tryst behind Francis's back, who's kind of just all in denial or is genuinely unaware of... That uh, they got a thing going,
1: and he and Julie don't, right? Yeah, but I mean, she's his nurse, so you know what I mean. It's not like she's there to be his wife,
0: right? No, no, I wasn't saying that. But he's,
1: but he's, smitten but he
0: with freaks her. out like he's not aware that they're together, and subsequently yeah. freaks out about it. And that's kind of that's kind of what ends up being his then downfall. We'll get into here,
1: right? Yes, yeah, seemingly yeah <laughs> downfall um, so so uh he dies <laughs> falls he down wakes the, up in the middle of the night he falls down the stairs when in the greatest uh, stunt of all time
0: when he trying to his
1: wheelchair down the stairs accidentally because he's he, freaked out he's having a moment he's having a little like uh i don't know what you would call it kind of a vertigo moment he's and calling out for julie his piano is playing on its own. He's freaking. And he falls down the stairs. It, incredibly. It's such a good stunt. <laughs> and and he dies. And um they read the will and his you know, he's got a couple dork relatives who show up thinking they're gonna inherit everything. <laughs> will says, No, no, sir, Bob, everything goes to Julie everything and now we get into a long (laughs) section of the movie that is quite literally just a debate over the legality of a will (laughs) maybe not the best plot device but here we are not very visual right yeah but what this does is that it sets this sort of the wheels in motion of who wants what and why. And we find out that Peter Laurie basically is like, this is all I have. These books that, that my uh, boss had bought me over the years. And Francis's relatives are like, you're a, you're a mooch. We're going to take all your books away. We're going to take everything when we execute this will. And, julie is like actually since i'm getting the everything i'm gonna stay i'm gonna stick around just to sort of spite everybody instead of leaving with with uh bruce and and then uh the lawyer says god this is so dumb the lawyer is like hey guys just so you know actually this will might not really need to be the way it is i could kind of just like write A letter saying that the old will prior to this one is the will that should be used. And that one said that you two dorks get everything. So, like, we'll just do that. We'll take care of everything. It'll be great. Let me do it in the secret of night in the middle of the night. I'll do it. I'll write this note. And then he gets strangled to death by a hand. And then now we're in a movie. So. The piano plays by itself the lawyer gets strangled by a disembodied hand the cops get called there's a murder so now it becomes a who done it and a why done it and people start dropping like flies people are getting strangled pianos are playing by themselves uh sir, the uh, the the staff is is freaked out they're leaving the mausoleum where francis is buried gets broken into there's a light on in the middle in the middle of the night there's a broken window that's only the size of a hand that can get through and in and out but it broke from the inside but the mausoleum was locked i mean it's great (sighs) everything about this whole section is awesome and then uh as as people begin to die or get injured P- we learn that Peter Laurie, Hillary, is kind of losing. He's losing his shit, and he's convinced that it's a disembodied hand. Nobody's really seen it. Um, the cop is, you know, fairly dubious of this idea, but he's going along. And ultimately, Peter Laurie th- believes that he has caught the hand. And we'll put an end to all of this. And he locks it in a safe and hammers it to a book and all this stuff. Right. Are you still with me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So here's what actually was going on. Peter Lorre, out of his manic desire to not lose everything, constructed this idea. Whether or not he knows he constructed this is sort of up for debate. He, it might be kind of a, he might've just lost his mind, but he was killing everybody because he needed to pick them off so that they couldn't execute this will. But he also just lost his mind and he used this hand idea as like, I don't know, the solve to say it's not him, it's the hand. Um, and uh, the the detective cop guy kind of figures it out, and uh, and that's it. Yep, the commissario. Right. So, truly, truly one of the better episodes of Scooby Doo I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and it didn't even sorely have lacking in Scooby snacks. Yeah, <laughs> but but all in all, a pretty fun ride.
0: Great, and thanks for taking us on that little ride, Tim. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that
0: way we're now we're all we're all caught up, We got an idea of it. Now we I think we can safely set off into our next section. What worked?
1: What, what, worked? what worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? What worked for you? What worked? It Worked like a charm. What, <laughs> what worked? What?
0: I guess I can kind of give, you know, more of an in-summary view up front. And this is one where it might be like a little hard to not save things for what did not work. But kind of like how you put it in your summary, you know, is this movie had ups and downs where I was kind of like really into it or I was kind of like, okay, there's the will and what and, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. figuring all that out. But I will say from the get-go, uh, it started off strong with... uh with introducing Bruce Conrad coming in and swindling the uh, a tourist couple. And it yeah. was just that kind of dialogue that's just so of its time and, like, charming and fun and, like, quippy and just silly. I don't know. It, it, it's It just engages me in a way that you don't really, you know, can't really get anywhere else or is hard to do nowadays with it's like just a stupid little like joke that he makes at the woman laughs at. And then like, you know, knowing the cafe is like, Oh no, stay away from the salami. I'd recommend the cheese. Oh, we'll have a cheese sandwich then, you know, just so silly. (laughs) Um, Started off strong. And then whenever that kind of spirit would come in throughout of just moments of dialogues, it was, it was clicking for me.
1: Yeah. Um I misspoke. It's not in Switzerland. It's in Italy. But I think it's the Alps. That's what was uh, the Italian Alps, not the mm. Swiss Alps, so whatever. Um <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, they set him up and he seems pretty interesting and he kind of serves this he serves this like grounding presence um role uh in spite of him being a swindler. Which I think is actually kind of a really smart thing to do. Um, you kind of make your grounding presence somewhat unreliable in a story like this yeah. because it's all, it's all predicated on the unreliable nature of the actual villain. Like the right, truth he- is unreliable.
0: Meaning like he's the one always saying from the get go, well, what's actually happened is none of this supernatural mumbo jumbo, it was this and this, so, but we're also
1: doubting him, don't know where he's coming from, yeah exactly so i i I think that's really smart. I just watched my recommendation has a similar kind of they use that tool to kind of make you go well what like who should I believe actually um <clears throat> So that's really smart. Peter Laurie's character is amazing. I mean, that dude is ridiculously good. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, just, let's just get that out of the way. Exactly. <laughs> he's just, in, he's an, in, I mean, or was an incredible actor. He's, you know what I, it made me watching him made me go, because like film in particular, because it's such a historically short period of, of art, you can look at it all. You know what I mean? You can get a broad sort of overview of it and you can see the, the recurring archetype casting that exists in, in story in film, because like, you know, it hasn't changed all that much. Now, certain little things have changed based on like the era that it exists in, but like Peter Laurie is Remy Malik. right? Like, they're basically the same type. Now, how we as a society view that type has changed slightly. Like, we sympathize, I think, more with Remy Malik's version of this. But they're so the same kind of guy. And it just made me think, like, it's so interesting to watch these old movies and kind of look at the the – we've talked about archetypes and whatever. But just the casting archetypes, you know, that, like – well, let's see. For example, uh, you know, Jimmy Stewart is the same as Jim Carrey. Right. Like they're the same archetype. Uh, Clark Gable is the same as uh, uh, George Clooney. Uh, like we see these kind of they, they every every decade or so has their versions of these archetypes and they're not that different.
0: Yes, Over point. The years. I I agree with the point. I'm just fixated on that one example of Jimmy Stewart and Jim Carrey. I don't know if I <laughs> <laughs> agree with that one. I get what you mean, but like in casting and roles they've been in. Yes, um, this is where I always I have fun bringing in my um enneagram obsession because that's immediately oh, sure, how I, yeah. I put it. Because like as soon as you said Rami Malek and Peter Laurie, I like their enneagram type combined with their physicality. Like that's. Yeah. That's what does it for me. And like, so as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see they're both this type kind of thing, you know?
1: Yeah. And so what I'm kind of getting at and what works about this is that cinema, as a fairly young art form, all told, has this kind of visual language in, in casting. I mean, it's a character language that we just get because we've like it's been embedded into the art form. And I think that, when you know, <laughs> it makes it easier, even though there are some aspects of this movie that are a little whatever, when you have these archetypes and you have the people who made those archetypes shine in those roles, like, you kind of, <laughs> who cares that the movie gets boring? It's like, dude, just watching him freak out is so exciting because yeah. it's so good. What about Jimmy Stewart, Tom Hanks? Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. See that? All right. Yeah, no, and then I guess to go off what you just said, uh, I mean that was my yeah, that's the my favorite stuff in this movie is that last half hour chunk where we're just kind of going between Peter Laurie, freaking out, seeing what he's seeing. At this point, we don't know if it's real or not or what's going on. Um and then, you know, it's just for whatever reason, everyone else just isn't in the room. So it's just this sort of, like, sequence. He has a freak-out interaction with the hand. It attacks him, whatever. He <laughs> screams about it. They all aren't sure what to make of it. And then, then you know, it kind of settles down again, and then it happens again. But just all that, all that
1: was so great. Yeah, and just just the general environment and setting and, and like, just feel of where we are and what's going on yeah all being it's, at the same house right it's i don't know would you call it's gothic feeling um it
0: just feels like a classic that's why we keep saying scooby-doo it's just all in one house it has this classic mystery kind yeah. of almost sherlock holmes feel to it with right, sort of right. you know set cast of characters that we kind of get to know in their interrelations yeah
1: yeah, I mean it's all uh, it's all of the things that ended up in the either satire or homage versions of these stories, right? Like it's Clue, it's Scooby Doo, uh, it's Sherlock Holmes, like it's all those things. So it's just it's cool, and it and it does work very well. Like it's creepy, you know. There yeah. are, there are a bunch of moments in this where I was like, man, they're especially with camera movement they kind of pull you around rooms. So it, it. whereas I think in this era and maybe a little before this era too, you got bogged down, I think in the stylistic filmmaking a lot of the time of just like a camera on sticks in a room with like two, like a master shot. And maybe you got to punch in to a two shot a couple of times. And it was like, it just, when these dialogue scenes go on, you just go, oh my God, I'm going to kill myself. They're so kind of boring. Like especially the early 30s ones, yeah? Exactly. And but there are exceptions totally... to that, of course, we've pointed out, yes. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the black cat, for example, but... M. Yeah, M. So, it just, this is refreshing, even though it does suffer from this slog of, of, I don't know, just plot. You still are getting these really, really nice... Uh, setups right like visual setups and camera moves and like compositional things that are just at least something to hang onto there's that one that was cool where like there
0: are three faces all looking the same direction at the same time side by side that was neat and then just I mean aside from the compo- just composition the just the lighting the classic like there's always shadows somewhere in this house being yeah.
1: projected onto someone it's really nice There's also, I mean, legitimate crane shots, Mm -hmm. like big moves from like the, you know, the close up of the people in the room by the fireplace and pulling all the way back and out and up to look down on the, the, just the magnitude of the, the hall that they're in. And so stuff like that just makes it much, much more big of a movie. And I think it's smart, right? Because you are just in kind of one location the whole time, but they take advantage of everything they can to make you feel like there's a sense of scope and scale of just this place that we're in. And it feels ominous and and creepy and dark and all of the things that you want a a movie like this to feel like. I mean, it's a location where it's normal for them just to say, oh, hey, look, the mausoleum in the backyard has a light on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's so cool. And then, you know, of course, I mean, that's why I say Scooby-Doo, because it just it has all the things that Scooby-Doo used. It's got a secret safe behind the bookshelf. Um, You know, it's got a giant fireplace. It's got a hidden phonograph inside of a suit of armor like that is so cool. And so all of those things just like the construction of this environment was awesome to me. Speaking of the
0: hidden phonograph, that was part of our our big reveal at the end for what was actually going on like we said in the summary, you know, it was all Peter Laurie, what's his name? He's just Peter Laurie Hillary, <laughs> which is also a memorable name, Hillary Cummins. Um That uh, it's all just him going crazy. And Tim, you know, that's like a fine line, whether or not that works for me or not, because I always prefer when it lands on the supernatural. But this one absolutely worked for me uh, because like all you were saying, you know, when it's a Scooby-Doo story, yeah, you are going to have it. So they pull the mask off at the end, you know, and it works in that sense. But then also just combined with the fact that it was him and like, it doesn't change the fact that he was going crazy um, totally. and just getting to, to witness that. Um, and it was done so well where it like so much of the little details of the setup, you're really going like, wait, how could this even be faked? Like it really does feel like a genuine mystery you get
1: caught up into and um, that then, well, there are definitely things that they don't quite explain either right yeah <laughs>
0: exactly no because there are all these instances of uh or maybe not all these instances but like there's the was it the lawyer dude who like is backing up like a hand's coming at him who gets killed and they all hear the piano playing and then um oh and then like someone else dies and they go uh the hand strangled him i saw it with my own eyes you know there's I don't know, it seems consistent that is going to be the hand, so... Right. Uh,
1: which I'll make it work. Um, the, the fingerprints are a little bit like the whole justification that it couldn't have been anybody in the house, that it had to be the hand, kind of falls apart unless Peter Lorre <laughs> was physically holding the hand and strangling people with the hand that he cut off of the, the old dude. Like, you know what I mean? So, like... There's, there are some plot holes, but it just doesn't matter. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what's working aside from just the little
0: details, I think, so well, is the story, character story going on itself with him going crazy and, yeah. you know, what's going on with everyone. But for him specifically, I kind of realized, like, you remember the moment towards the beginning that's kind of the setup before um, Francis Ingram the, the crazy, the pianist whose house this is, whose hand it presumably is before he right. passes away, we have this intense moment where he strangles Hillary That's uh, right, pr- yeah. pretty brutally. It's like, you know, and a big deal is made out of it. You know, they're checking up with him. There's blood left on it. So when you look at it as like, this was a traumatic, crazy, you know, thing that happened, An attack that happened on him right before he died—it sort of works as like a continuation of that act against him. You know, when you don't look at it as just some sort of random one-off attack, you know, it was a hand strangling him, leaving its imprint. So when set up that way, it it works when you're kind of looking at it from Hillary's perspective.
1: Yeah, because they also sort—they really do lean in on when we meet him that he's. He's not overtly doing well. <laughs> <laughs> no. He's obsessed He's, with this astro- astrology. Like, right. oh, I mean, I'm going to find out the
0: day you die.
1: Yeah, he seems pretty on the edge of unhinged already. And it, may, it sort of all makes sense in the end to be like, okay, that, I get it. He was already <laughs> an unstable dude. He, this is the only thing he has, and then, you know, the well, it wouldn't be the hand that feeds him. Yeah, well, the hand that feeds him bites him, and yeah, you can kind of see that triggering just like a cascade of of delusion of like he has to justify all these things because that person not only shouldn't have done that because that was his his one his benefactor, I guess. And, you know, there's sort of a betrayal built into that, that moment of getting strangled.
0: Right. And then it culminates with, uh, like, to play on that
1: phrase, burning the hand that feeds him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So just, I love his spiral into delusion. Yeah. It's so cool because we, until we know, we don't know that it's a delusion. We get clues and stuff, and that's cool, but, like, until we're actually told that he's just lost it, we get to sort of experience what he's experiencing in his delusion, and I think that's kind of the bread and butter of how you make the crazy person work, because it's it's not just, oh, he's crazy and unhinged and whatever. It's, we are experiencing what he's experiencing. And that's kind of why I liked, you know, let's uh, scare Jessica to death, too, is because we're experiencing her, well, in that case, her possible delusion on, on uh, unconfirmed with her. And so we're it's not it's not trite. It just is what we're experiencing. And I think that connects us to that and makes it fun. Without I, that, you just go, you know. Oh, he sucks. <laughs> I'm realizing we uh, the
0: most similar film I think that we've covered to this. Do you remember what we did
1: for episode 23 of our show? Jesus, 23. That was like three <laughs> years ago. <laughs> um, I'm God. just gonna tell you, Arnold, what? Arnold, Arnold, Arnold. Arnold. (laughs) Oh no. I had tried. Thank you very much for reminding me. I've tried (laughs) to block this out. But right. Peter. (laughs) Everyone, uh, everyone gathers after the deaths of
0: someone, and there's a will involved, and we wondering if he's still a, a ghost or alive yeah. or not, causing right. all this stuff. And it's in a big house with a muzzle. It's it's very. Similar. I feel like
1: Arnold. Was, I I don't remember if this is true, but one of the movies we watched, maybe it was Arnold, was was written by one of the guys who also wrote on Scooby Doo. I think that might have been Arnold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh.
0: Okay, well, just to wrap up the or yeah, just continue, maybe wrap up um, Hillary Cummins going crazy and seeing the hand and all that. I just got to get out of the way. Not a lot to say on it, but just the effects of the hand that he's seeing that we're seeing. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's I guess combines kind of whatever they were doing on the Invisible Man at some points, but then also just this incredible like hiding stuff in shadows or clothing like a hidden arm and having you know an extension of a of a wrist that's cut off that looks absolutely flawless is so fun to look at When it's playing the piano we didn't even mention i mean we mentioned you know it has the fake uh wax cylinder that's playing the piano music back but just when setting up you know all that's giving it that overall feel i mean we have piano theme being played consistently at night and then visuals of a disembodied hand playing that piano.
1: I mean, come on. (laughs) No, it's really cool. And, you know, this is not the podcast to sort of break down how they did that. But if you want to go down that rabbit hole, at least to see sort of like how The Invisible Man was done, which, I, you know, I assume this had very, very similar, if not the same, kind of technology being used um there's a cool youtube channel uh called corridor crew and they're they're vfx guys and they just they break down vfx from all sorts of different things but they do cover the invisible man at one point and that episode's really fun but it's amazingly simple and complex how they were doing this stuff back in the day um it's super cool you're essentially in the most basic terms, you're doing kind of what you would expect. You're shooting it twice, one time with the subject, like the person whose hand it actually is, and then from the wrist up there in, usually in black at this time. Um, so what you don't want to see is black. And then they are quite literally painting that out of the each frame of film and putting it over the same shot that's shot a second time and that's hard <laughs> i mean it's original rotoscoping right like it is crazy just think about the amount of time that goes into to accomplishing that kind of thing and they've got you know there's a fair amount of disembodied hand in this yeah that's articulated right it's I an mean, actual person's hand well, rather than the the rubber hand that they use in some scenes which is quite funny and like watching peter laurie do things with the rubber hand to make it kind of look like it's moving on its own is so much fun <laughs> it's just awesome yeah it made me think i mean i was
0: just thinking of you and uh, evil dead 2 would make a great double screening with that oh, man <laughs> the best um. Okay, well, so we have, you know, Hillary's story going on. We kind of covered here. But kind of like why, you know, I pointed out in the summary, it sounds like maybe you glossed over it more, didn't attach to it as much. But I really see this as the story, which I love. This is like, remember the black cat was, you know, we have um about crazed guy literally preserving women in like glass right. tombs for his collection and like and then is holding on to like a drugged out uh the daughter of his old nemesis you know all that stuff <laughs> but just yeah. stories that are like the old man to their own detriment i mean obviously uh you know being obsessed with a singular woman as kind of like their one like the one thing in the world that is you know worth living for or you know this the, whatever that is and then that then being their downfall i mean that's what his story was and that's why i point out you know of course there wasn't it was all i guess one-sided or whatever nothing actually to it um but but they point out like oh you can't let you can't let old man you know ingram know about about you too because he's gonna go crazy you know if he does there's that obsessiveness angle to it and like right before he falls down the stairs You know, he's got he's he's yeah, it's like wavy vision or whatever. It's really fun. But when he's calling out for uh, Julie, he's not just doing it because he needs his nurse. He's like calling her out her name like she's the one kind of, you know, bright light savior for him in this world. And I mean, and it's built into the story, too, with the will and everything, you know, just leave everything to her and then. But then with that too, that sort of, I don't know, it's, it's not, it's like denial on some maybe subconscious level he doesn't want to confront, but it's also just this sad obliviousness of like, no, dude, she's like, she's clearly with this other guy. Like, what are you even doing? (laughs) Why like, he could leave her all the money and it'd be fine. He should just be supportive and open. Like, I want the best in the world for you. Great. You two live your happy life. You're a great, I love you. You're a nurse for me. But no, I mean, so that it's all kind of that's our our thematic jumping off point and kind of trickle out effect of this whole, you know, one person's fatal flaw that then that then sort of sows the seeds for everything else and sort of uh, puts a thematic lens over it all. I'm always a sucker for all that. I love that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's old man spite, right? Mm, mm -hmm. that's just what it is and that's (laughs) sadly i guess a pretty common thing or just a thing that we all know citizen kane kind of too yeah right like where people you know you get to a place where you're just like bitter and angry about everything so you just want to piss on it all Mm -hmm. and you want what you want even though you probably know that you either can't or shouldn't have that thing. Right. So there becomes this like rich, old rich guy can lived a life where they could just buy whatever they want, but you can't buy people. Well you could probably at this point, but not exactly, right? Like you shouldn't, you can't, people have free will. You you know, you don't own them. Um and that I think that theme of like I want what I want is carried through to uh, Hillary's character of, of just like when you start to get into that obsessive, you know, I deserve this or I own this or whatever you want to call that kind of egocentrism. It's all about you. That's everybody's downfall, right? It's also Ingram's family's downfall. They show up being like, well, we deserve his fortune. Why? Right. You didn't do anything like you weren't around. It's like you you just showed up when he died and they pay the price for that. Right. So the attitude of ownership or presumed ownership is everybody's downfall.
0: Well, and it's also could be, you know, looked at another uh, kind of similarly to Hillary's story of questioning one's own sanity and how old man Ingram's using his wealth and power to almost double down on his own insanity. Like that see, that extended scene you described where he literally gathers everyone together to be like, I need you all to um, assure me I'm not crazy, I'm of sound mind. But that in its own way, it's basically <laughs> like, it's, it's as if he's twisting that in his own meaning to mean that, um, oh, there's no way that Bruce and Julie are together. You know that he couldn't be wrong or or mis misreading any situation like how he's basically double getting using his cl- power to get the group to help double down on w- however he's seeing the situation, which is him at the center of it all and how he sees it is exactly how it is.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean I guess you could kind of say at its core it, it's all greed based right everybody's the people who are exhibiting greed or a version of that uh proprietary greed <laughs> maybe are the ones who who suffer for it cuz like even the lawyer right the lawyer yeah. is sort of like well whatever whatever's good for me I'll go with and then he gets killed so <laughs> right. they do they do a really good job of just being consistent with that undercurrent And I try to think of, you know,
0: a moment I loved and how it applies to it all. You know, I try to think of that. Um, The right after he dies, how we have like, they're the, I don't know if they're literally hired or not, but we have the mourners slash (laughs) howlers, as they put it, like show up after he dies that are outside. We don't even see them, but we just hear outside this like, this group, it's like, um, like a like mournful carolers, almost they're just moaning, right. oh, ha, ha. just non, you know, just just constant. And the one guy explains to the other one. Well, he was very respected in this community, and da da da, blah blah blah. So you know, and sends them off. But I don't know. That was I don't know. Just that that ties to it all and his own his own issues in some way that I thought was interesting. Of like. I don't know, because when you look at characters like that, these old bitter men—I mean, Scrooge, the classic example, right? Mm -hmm. And again, they all have their rosebud, whether it's it's person, sled, (laughs) whatever. Um, But you look at what their issue is; it's like they there's no kind of, um, you know, back back then, especially it's like there's no healthy way or the side there's. there's no like societally presented way for them to um, to share their emotionality you know mm, consistently mm-hmm. in any kind of way you know that wasn't associated with being a man like we all know that that's um, so in the way that this is just all stories of that but I don't know I just I just think it's interesting that then these kind of stories say well the result of, of burying all that or whatever not having an outlet for that, it's like it all comes out with like one person, memory, object or whatever. Like as if <laughs> as if that's a healthy use or a normal use to put that emotionality is it just gets all funneled into like one one thing, idea, person, whatever. And somehow the mourners, howlers, they just, they somehow reflect that or play on that for me in a
1: way. Yeah. Well, it's all kind of, rooted in this n- this framework of of delusion because you know who <laughs> hiring professional mourners <laughs> <laughs> yep you know is is kind of a delusional thing to do like you it's you're you're creating the optics of a thing that doesn't actually exist.
0: That was reminds me of the Nathan for you where he's pitching to a a funeral home like that exactly like hire, hire actors to come to a funeral.
1: (laughs) So, so messed up. (laughs) Yeah, but I think that's cool, right? Like that's all the people who bottle this stuff in. It comes out in sort of a version of delusion. And that is the thing that like gets them in the end so greed greed leads to delusion is kind of a a thing that you see in this I guess yeah or a concentrated
0: unhealthy form of that like emotionality you know right. it's like getting funneled and yep. like coming out in a way that's just like yeah, you know, you know not good all around
1: yeah um, A couple other things, just like from an um, interesting casting character kind of point of view. I-, I think, you know, the woman who played Julie felt really authentic and like not, she just felt like a person, which I feel like for this era was not always that common.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Which is, a good- I, I don't know if that if that's rude to say or like I'm not trying to disparage other actors of the era. But I think that the way that male dominated directing and studios viewed women always two dimensionalized them, not always, but often. And in this one, I felt like that wasn't happening as much.
0: Um, yeah, you always like got. She's watch. got some
1: agency, and she's she's not just sort of like ah, yeah, everything. Like, however, the circumstances played out to allow that, we don't know. But great. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've. Ever, I mean, I didn't recognize her, but I found her much more interesting than most. Well, not most, but uh, some of the the people you see in that era, um, in similar roles,
0: and um. Just if we're on casting here, got to shout out J. Carol Naish, Naish as Commissario Ovidio Castagno. Like talking about bringing a Scooby-Doo mystery vibe to it all. Like you got to so have the detective commissary character. Um, and yeah, <laughs> this just so much fun. I mean, Tim, I'm putting this in what worked and I don't know if it was because I was just well it's yeah it's the kind of thing that would tickle me independently of what you might think of it but just imagining like maybe you liked it but just imagining you being like oh my god and like rolling your eyes at the ending when he like speaks to camera do you remember (laughs) 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 where he's like totally playing for the audience of uh, you know, that's ridiculous. A, ha- a hand that moves. And then, you know, his own hand comes up out of shot and this sort of like kitschy music is playing. I just was get like such a kick out of that. Like He scares could- himself. Yeah. <laughs> like where else could you do? I mean, so of its time maybe is why I love it so much. And just that it was that actor just doing it. Like, I don't know, that they could pull it off back then and did for I- me.
1: I think it's just perfectly fits in with his character. And so you just kind of go, yeah, that that makes that that seems about right for him. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, but including breaking the fourth wall, (laughs) you're saying? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, kind of. Well, you know why is because he that character is is a holdover from sort of a vaudeville type thing. Um, I'm not. I wish I knew more about sort of the the actual breakdown of um, all of the vaudevillian characters, but um, I'm not. But you know, it has that feel. He's 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 borderline a clown, but he's the clown in a position of power. Um, and so, like, he's there for comic relief, and he's there for driving the story forward a little bit. And you know, I. I'm totally fine with him being a kind of a character. Yeah, and the
0: detective character is always sort of the uh who the audience is hanging their hat on trying to associate, identify with as they're
1: trying to figure it all out. Yeah, it's cool. I, yeah. I'm into it. Great. I wish that this movie just Well, I guess I should save that. Never mind. Well then, does that mean you're ready for our next section? Did I mention how good the stunt? Rolling down the stairs is. yes, but you did not mention it again. so well let me tell you that stunt is exceptional <laughs> from all aspects. The setup is really good. The visual setup, the and and just the story setup, but the camera angle that they use were super high up, so we really feel. Because there's two ways to do it, right? And they kind of do both. You set up the height of it by looking down. Like we go, oh, that's where he's headed if he falls. But we in camera see him (laughs) roll down the stairs and tumble. It's so good. And then they do the other shot, which is sort of the classic bottom of the stairs shot. Now, often we see that bottom of the stairs shot first so that we go, oh, no, he's going to fall into camera or whatever. But it doesn't matter. It's so, so well done. The stunt itself... That dude looked like he really took one. And it's all in camera. There's like no cutaway. It's just him. It's so seamless and natural. It's very easy to take for granted. Yeah. Stunt actors need more something. I don't know what it is. Credit? I, I don't know. No,
0: we should just Praise. have...
1: Praise? Stunts should have been through all of the history of the Academy Awards been a category. Yeah, yeah, like that's crazy, right? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Anyway, are- so <laughs> just props to whoever did that because it's amazing, and the construction of the stunt is just—it's
0: so wild. If we can, Tim, let's figure out uh, who that stunt person was, how they did it, and maybe they're buried over in Hollywood forever. We can go pay our that's respects. True.
1: I mean, maybe we could figure out. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll do some digging. <laughs> All right. Now, I think with that,
0: then, it sounds like we're ready for our next section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work?
1: (laughs) This is probably just a product of the era and how it's not really a consideration, I think, but the way the script is constructed in that, I guess it would be sort of the, it's really the first half of the second act. It's so boring. Just talking about wills and like executions of Mm. wills and like, you know, you can legally change it because of this and we can write it. It's just like, shut up. (laughs) You don't need any of that. You just jump to the part where they're doing that thing, whatever that is. Like, I I get there's, it's it maybe it's just a product of in that era, you felt like you needed to kind of lead the audience along more because it's such a new art form. It's only been around for a couple decades really in in a mass way i guess i i don't know i just it's it's annoying to me that that it it's both expositionally unnecessary and padded out unnecessarily for what i mean if you if you took all of that out what what do you lose 15 minutes of the of the script of the runtime okay like you've got lots to work with yeah that would that running time would have felt much more appropriate so i, I just it it annoys me that i don't know there's nothing you can do about it really i i, I don't know it, it just i think you just kind of have to swallow it but it ultimately is the thing for me that just really really deflates the movie from a potential buy um and that's too bad
0: yeah, I know if that stuff could just be cut down a little bit. It's weird because I agree. Um, and then I also agreed with what you said earlier, But you know, about how all these really great shots and lighting, da-da-da-da-da. But I don't know how much of it was when I was getting, you know, I said from up front this movie had high highs and low lows and kind of that. See, you know that that section you described is exactly what I'm talking about. But I would kind of apply that too to just a lot of the setup, like the first half, you know, in itself, just within it all, you know, had those same ups and downs. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So then I just kept thinking, I don't know, and I, I was, and some of how all that was shot, and kind of what you're describing of a shot, there was just nothing to it, didn't offer a lot. And I'm like, well, is that just an accurate representation of these scenes where not much is happening? I don't know. Either way, though, um, yeah, I feel you. And I was just trying to get a little more specific of how shooting it may or may not have played into that.
1: Well, I mean, they're not lacking on the technical side of shooting. And the whole movie really is a a creep fest, right? Like you you have everything working, you have everything that can work to make a thing feel creepy, a story feel creepy like at your disposal. So just why not just lean in on it? Yeah. Like trade some of this unnecessary talking for just eeriness. And I get it. It's just not that wasn't the way things were done. So right,
0: you don't even have to. I guess you could do those scenes in a more like, okay, how do we fit this into the overall eeriness? But again, just by cutting them down or getting rid of them somehow would have done it, too. You don't even have to trade it out. Yeah, It, it just I don't know. It bums me out. Yeah. And then. Yeah. But then it's just when it gets going, it gets going, though, that last half hour, whatever it is last last third was great. I mean that's all I really had too. Yeah, you you put it better than I could. So do you have anything else? Oh man.
1: Um I you know the I feel like there's a missed opportunity in the romance angle. Um I don't really know what what a different way to go about this would be off the top of my head, but Bruce's character gets set up kind of seemingly as like the lead of the movie. He's or sort of the this handsome dude. He disappears into the movie, right? Like we he he matters absolutely zero to the progression of the plot. So I think that there's just a there's a flaw in in even almost in almost even having him. Uh in yeah. a way like I like that that we are almost turning the tables on the who is who is important in the relationship kind of typical trope, right? Typically the woman just becomes this two-dimensional of uh, in this era. Well, actually, in in all films, a lot of the time, <laughs> uh, sadly, but, you know, like two dimensionalizing the woman is such a common thing. And they kind of don't they do the opposite in this, like he starts off seemingly as an interesting potential person of interest. I guess I don't know, but he he just fizzles into the background Like, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't have anything to do with the result of the movie at all. He doesn't even solve the mystery. Like, he does nothing. He just agrees with the commissario and, like, is supportive of his girlfriend. That's nice. He's just kind of going around being like I'm the young handsome love interest. Da, da, da. Yeah. Right, like I feel like they just didn't know what to do like for all we know in the short story he's he's like a nothing character, but they were like, well, we got to have a leading man. I mean, he's set up that way our intro scene, yeah, you're right, right And just really fizzles out. Which it's, makes me think that that interest like that that's all a construction that has nothing to do with the short story.
0: Yeah. And then they just didn't bother seeing it through that change of like, okay, what do we actually do with our leading man? We had well, he to doesn't. Just it's not even
1: like you know, if you're gonna fall in line with the common story kind of tropes of the time, like he doesn't even come to like his girlfriend's rescue at any point. Yeah, right. Like it's not like he, he does nothing. And so, to me, I I just think it's it's the other thing that really look. I'm not saying. You need a, a a hero, leading man thing to exist. I'm not saying that. I, I don't think that's necessary, but either do either get rid of him or do something with him. Otherwise, you get this thing that we get, which is flat and middling. We don't even see him like f- form some sort of like necessary bond with the commissario in the end. Because he lost his girlfriend because he messed up or, like, d- had a different opinion than her. You know, like, none of that. Like, you could kind of Casablanca this if you wanted. Like, you could find yeah. a way to have this inter- re- interpersonal relationship stuff kind of devolve because of the experience of this delusional dude and it's just too much and it falls apart. Like, something, just something else to make us feel like these characters just don't kind of like disappear.
0: Well, it's, you're kind of touching on two sides of it and they do intersect, but it's as far as the romance story and as well as just him having agency in the actual story itself of the mystery. And when you're talking about the romance side of it, I mean, maybe it's kind of a combination of things that's maybe making it not click, like where it's not at the level of like, what was it? Was it? The 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 early Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the thirty-one one we watched. There was like some older movie where I actually found myself getting caught up in the romance in a way. Hmm. Um yeah. but this one where it just kind of starts from the get-go, where they're like the classic star-crossed lovers and just like I don't know, it it's 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 hokey in the not kind of Working way, if you actually are trying to get, you know, feel sympathy toward their romance in a way that the black cat is. But what those characters are being used for in the black cat, whether it's intentional or not, they're like the MacGuffins. Like they're clearly, like right. they're intentionally used as like, here, we think we're having our kind of classic couples leading man in, you know, and we're kind of with them. But then the story just, it's really just a handoff. It's actually Bella it was showing up on the train with them, you know? Right, right. But yeah, this I mean, one, I, it doesn't have that. It doesn't no. work off of that. It's just and, like, it's that in the bad way.
1: Trying to figure out, like, what do you do? Like, what what should you be doing or could you be doing with this setup as it is? And one of the things that, that it just is sorely, sorely lacking, if you are going to have this romance that's kind of, like, the whole romance is revolves around them not being able to be together right so there's a built-in conflict there but then he just sort of go when 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 they can go off together she says no i'm gonna stay so you would think okay progressive conflict <laughs> right like she 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 had an opportunity to go along with him and and leave the thing that he's been asking for this whole time or wanting or and the thing that she's presumably been wanting but couldn't Mm -hmm. and then she chooses to stay when she can leave that should evoke an actual conflict between them Mm -hmm. and we never see it. We never get there. So I think the way you would, at least in a modern sense, the way you would want to weave that in is to have them become at odds and have the relationship start to splinter so that everything's falling apart. People are dying like he then has something that he wants to actually like exert. Like some opinion that he wants to exert, he he could be banished. I mean, she could be like, "Well, get out of here, then." Like, we're we're done. Like, at least that would be something that puts her more vulnerable because there, she's just she's on an island suddenly, and there's still a killer on the loose or a hand on the loose, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, like it gives them some sort of impetus to fight for something rather than just standing around and being like, "Well." I wonder who's gonna die next. Uh, I think you're spot on there because, especially with
0: that setup that we have, where it's just from the get go, "I love you, I love you." We have to run away together. Like, yeah, make that then, then that's the where you gotta mine your conflict from. Make it right. more than just because there's a hand going around, but yeah, make make them uh, start to fall apart and have to work yeah. at it, whatever.
1: But oh well. That's why it's just going to stay a rent for me. Yeah. Not bad, though. Not
0: a bad thing. No, not bad. Great. Great. All right. That's kind of all I had. You ready to move on to our next section? Yes. All right. Here we go. Wrap it up with Things of Note.
1: Things of Note! (laughs) This should be interesting.
0: I thought this was pretty interesting. This film was Warner Brothers' only foray into the horror genre in the 1940s, according to Wikipedia, with a citation needed. Um, (laughs) But I will say that uh, when the Warner Brothers logo and theme came up at the beginning with it, it felt like... Yeah, I don't know. Somewhat out of place. Like usually, I don't know. There's there's certain when you're watching movies from this time, when a certain logo or studio logo and and um, j- whatever they're called, theme jingle comes on with it. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's one of these movies before here we are. But this one, I just it did strike me as like, oh, I don't. This is not familiar to have the Warner Brothers thing come up beforehand. So yeah. I I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then um, <laughs> I can't tell if you had anything, but just the last little thing I had. I mean, not a big thing. We we're already kind of running down the list of, uh, you know, uh, uh, not uh, not spoofs, but you know, you're mentioning Clue and other films. Like, what are the other films that are doing this thing? I mean, the clearest modern example for me was just Knives Out, like yeah. through and through. Like, it's everywhere. In this movie is everywhere. In that movie like right. down to even i caught myself when saying it the old rich man who's leaving all his money behind his beloved uh you know a women caretaker like <laughs> it's all right there sure is the old the house everything yeah it's cool yeah it'd be fun if they're doing if ryan johnson is doing two which he is doing the two more knives outs what if we're the you know, I don't know, it'd be fun if he, there was a, a more Halloweeny one with a horror bent where it doesn't have it's the, the kind of thing that we question if it's supernatural or whatever, like a severed hand killing people, but of course in the end it's <laughs> it's not. But I don't know, it could be fun if, you know, he's doing 3 of them, he's kind of have to mix them
1: up somehow. Yeah, that's cool. That would be interesting if he just went, you know, full full-on Scooby-Doo. <laughs> full-on beast with five fingers. Yeah. Great. Well, and anything else you had? No, I tried to find the stunt person, but it's just, it's just, I don't even, you know, it's, it was probably some crew member. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I know I was checking the opening credits here, but I think it was before they listed that kind
0: of thing. But, oh, but yeah. I did get confirmation. There was a card at the beginning. This is what I was thinking of. It says, "This is the story of what happened or seemed to happen in the small Italian village of San, Se- Stef- San Stefano." nearly 50 years ago. Oh, okay.
1: But I was so, also turn you know, of the
0: century. Yeah. But no uh no stunts credits here. I mean, is it just him? Did they just load up that guy with <laughs> a bunch of padding and push him down the stairs?
1: I hope not, cuz that dude was not
0: young. <laughs> yeah. I have to see the shot again. We'll pick it apart. <laughs>
1: so good.
0: You know there's some old enthusiast on these kinds of movies who could probably point us the right direction who's still around somewhere in the oh, in the halls in the halls of Burbank somewhere, you know. <laughs> right. We'll track him down. Um cool. Great. All right. Well then if that's it for the Beast with Five, fi- five Fingers, we can wind down with some
1: recommendations. Um, I watched a movie last night called The Night House. You heard about this? Yeah. With What's-Her-Face. <laughs> yes, exactly. With What's-Her-Face, Rebecca Hall.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I didn't look up actually who made it or anything. Um, I saw in the credits that my boy David S. Goyer was a producer on it.
0: Oh, no, but I know um, it. I I know it was a wide release. I saw the posters around town.
1: Yeah. It's out yeah. now. You could watch it at home. director was this dude David Bruckner. Uh he's uh he did The Signal. I think I watched The Signal. I'm pretty sure I did. Um and VHS, presumably one of the anthology films in VHS. So, you know, a horror guy. Um it's good. Like it's super creepy and um it's got a it's got a very fun uh what the hell's going on but you're given just enough to kind of you know not feel <laughs> not feel super lost you know it's got a lot of like oh it could be this and it could be that and it could be that we don't know but we're gonna find out it's did good. you did you rent it? I rented it, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, we watched the trailer, and then we're like, okay, this, this looks worth this whatever it was, $5 or something like that.
0: Great, yeah, I see it's to rent here. I'll check it out. Yeah, no, I, I know it was getting kind of good word of mouth when it came out. It's good to hear you. that comes yeah, from you too.
1: So go
0: watch it if you get an opportunity. Cool. I'll recommend Dead. Just, you know, I'm just kind of going through what did I watch here this month? I mentioned I watched all the Final Destinations. I mentioned, I think, very passingly, I watched House of Wax, the remake, <laughs> um, which I almost recommended. Um Ginger Snaps, I re- think I recommended it last week. But on October 26th, I watched the original Dark Water. You know, I got a be up on my j-whore here you know from the director hideo nakata who did the original ringu ringu 2 all that stuff
1: mm-hmm. or he did the
0: ring it was great tim dark water okay. it's really cool i've seen it. the remake
1: the yeah. american
0: i remember remake. seeing the remake when it came out in theaters um but it was just right at that level where the, I feel like the remake for me, the mystery by the end kind of overtook the horror aspects in a way that, you know, doesn't work for me when mm-hmm. I'm signing up for a horror movie. But this one, like it had some scare moments and eeriness moments that I was, if I had seen it before, I did not remember, but I was really surprised by it and were super effective. And it's just like the whole movie feels like, dark water is the perfect title for it. Just wet, sad rain, yeah. grief, ghosts in the midst. Yeah. Sad kids stuff. Uh, yeah, it was great. Check it out. Um, yeah, please do dark water from 2002. All right. All right. Great. And I believe, uh, so are we going to pull a hat pull? Or what are we going to do? Oh no. It's the sound. Our old friend, the skull bike bell which means we are off to see a new release film. And like you, we are very excited to see the new Edgar Wright joint last night in
1: Soho. Yeehaw. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I love Edgar Wright. Great. Me too. I have a friend who knows him, and I'm like so badly want to figure out a way to make that turn into me hanging out with Edgar Wright. Just got to keep making cool movies here, Tim. It'll happen. Yeah. yeah,
0: That uh, is true. Great. Well, I'll be very excited to see it and talk about it. As I said, as we all are. So cool. We'll be back next week with that. In the meantime, you can find us wherever you found us. We're at dismemberingwhore.com with all our links. We are a proud member of the connected family of podcasts. Been saying it for a while. More on that later. Uh, we just record these so quickly And we're still ramping up with them That's going to be a lot of what's going on and We got some announcements about how they're helping us out And uh, some some ways we're going to shake up the show for the better We're really excited about So, <laughs> continued to be more on that later
1: <laughs> Hey, what are the odds that you could get Sixto to say hello on, on Mike right now? Is there any chance? Sixto Oh, he doesn't have anything to say right now <laughs> well someday someday you we'll get an it you did it that one time before i forget which episode yeah well i think i think the the fans need more Sixto. well i won't disagree with you there <laughs> he could be our little familiar walking around
0: there you go well tim i got to say it's these uh kind of one what could feel like one off episodes that uh you know they aren't they aren't the big ones Maybe they don't seem that famous, whatever. And I always kind of wonder, well, you know, how much are we going to have to talk about, dismember here? But I am always so surprised and not surprised, not that surprised. I have faith in us, but I'm always elated uh, all that we do have to dismember. Hell yeah. In closing then, uh, whether your beast has one, two, three, four, or five fingers, thanks
1: for listening. yeah yeah look out look out for those those hands and we'll see you next time goodbye